Hi, this is DebtWire Managing Editor Andrew Ragsley. Welcome to the latest edition of our DebtWired podcast. On this episode, we are digging into market volatility with Thomas Califano of Sidley Austin. Tom is a partner in the New York office and co-leader of the firm's restructuring group. On this episode, Deputy Editor Rashmi Basu and Tom talk about the likelihood of heading into a distressed cycle, what industries are most vulnerable in today's climate, specific pressure points in the healthcare space, and what more to expect in the arena of lender-on-lender violence. Tom, thank you so much for being here today. Hi, thank you. Thank you for uh, having me. So we are seeing the stock market closing in on bear territory, inflation at 40-year highs, and the Fed raising interest rates with no stimulus package coming. Are we headed into a distressed cycle? Well, I mean, it is the topic du jour, and there, there are opinions all over the map. A lot of it depends on your personal perspective, okay? Uh, and just to give you an example, we recently hosted with one of my clients, Lantern Capital Management, an event for senior restructuring professionals at this golf resort, Blue Jack uh, National. And we asked those folks a question, you know, a number of questions, but one of the questions we asked is, what do you think is the likelihood of the start of a restructuring cycle in the next 12 months? And 44% of them thought there was a 75% likelihood of a, the commencement of a restructuring cycle. And 33% thought that would be higher. So you have 77% of the people polled saying it's highly likely. Now, what does that mean? Those folks have their own bent right? Everybody actually would profit from a distress cycle. I'm not sure, but I just think it illustrates one of my points, which is that a lot of it depends on your perspective. Another thing is that distress cycles seem to take on a life of their own and become to some extent a self-fulfilling prophecy because people think that there's going to be a downturn. Credit tightens, people become more conservative, and that could, in fact, lead to a downturn. So to get back to your question, I think we're headed into a distress cycle. But as I said, opinions are all over the place. And I think the mood has changed dramatically from, let's say, where it was at the end of last year. Are you surprised by how quickly investment sentiment changed compared to the beginning of the year? I'm not really, because things can turn quickly. I think you have to remember that a lot of people have been expecting a downturn for a while. You know, they've been looking for sort of the clouds on the horizon. There was some bad news at the beginning of the year, you know, the war in Ukraine, a new shutdown in China. And then, as I said, the pessimism starts to take on a life of its own. So I'm not surprised. And I think a lot of it is because people have been anticipating a downturn. They they saw the signs coming. So, Tom, what industries are most vulnerable in the current environment? Well, healthcare tops everyone's list, right? So that's one where people constantly seeing the risk in healthcare. It seems like there have been healthcare companies 
that have needed to restructure, regardless of what the overall market is, regardless of what is going on generally. So I think, you know, healthcare always tops the list. You know, I think people are talking about real estate. Is there a real estate bubble? And you know, I think it, you know, just going back to this event where we had this poll, 78% of the people there thought that real estate was likely to be one of the most vulnerable industries, right? Because it's you know, a dramatic change and people think that the values have been overstated. And then automotive, people think there is a risk there especially with a move towards electric vehicles and supply chain issues. I don't think that people have really considered the impact of the supply chain issues because there's sort of lost revenue throughout the distribution chain that will never be recaptured because manufacturers can't put out the product and the distributors and sellers can't sell the product, right? So the longer that goes on, and once again, you know, the renewed shutdown in China adds to that, industries that are vulnerable to supply chain issues like automotive are probably going to feel a great deal of stress. And as you pointed out, we are seeing quite a bit of restructuring activity in the healthcare space. Why is that? And how are these restructurings different than other industries? Yeah, there's a bunch of factors. Some of the factors relate to the nature of the industry, right? So you have an industry that is constantly changing, that is highly regulated, that a great deal of the revenue comes from government sources that you cannot control. Some healthcare providers rely on 70% of their revenue from government sources, either Medicare or Medicaid. So then they are highly vulnerable to any changes. You have constant changes in the industry and in the treatment of patients. And as that comes, right, there's always going to be impact from that. A lot of the providers are still suffering from the impacts of COVID. That's affected different providers differently. And then, you know, you, as I said, you have the impact of, of government regulation. And then on the other hand, if you look at some of the transactions that have occurred in the industry, they were highly levered at very high multiples. There were assumptions of growth that have not always borne out. So it creates sort of a, you know, a, a perfect storm of factors that can lead to a restructure. And why are they different? The difference is you can't look at a healthcare company like you can at a widget manufacturer. It's just very different, okay? There is a great deal of government regulation that you need to deal with. And then also, you know, you need to make sure you are maintaining the confidence of your various constituencies. So you have regulators, physicians, right? Physicians are a large, important, and somewhat nervous constituency. And then you have the community slash the patients. So we found that it's very important to make sure you've got the right communication going to your constituencies and also that you make sure that the restructuring is a a long-term fix, not a short-term kick-the-can-down-the-road kind of fix, but also that it can be implemented quickly and efficiently because healthcare providers, and whether it's a hospital system, whether it's skilled nursing facilities, 
behavioral health, or even if it's a device manufacturer that requires the confidence of physicians who are making the determination as to use this device as opposed to a competitor. It's really important that you maintain the confidence of your constituencies, you know, even more so than, than in any other type of company. And within healthcare, which sectors could come under pressure? There's some factors, and a lot of them are hangovers from COVID, right? So if you look at the whole range of senior living facilities, from skilled nursing facilities to independent living, they're all facing some sort of stress related to COVID. And it, you know, there's staffing issues, right? Staffing costs are going through the ceiling, whether it's aides, nurses, those costs have outpaced any estimate. You've seen people be looking at independent living, maybe concerned about the shutdown, because people going to independent living are looking for the community aspect of that as they grow older. So with the shutdown of COVID, then you know, people were uh, segregated in their rooms or quarantined in their rooms. That has had a great deal of impact. Long-term acute care, that's been you know, a target of the government. You know, reimbursement is tightening there, right? So that's, a, that's an area. Physician management practices, in, you know, the independent emergency room services, those are causing problems. Then you'll have the issue, of, for example, of you know, the No Surprise Medical Billing Act and all the uncertainties that causes. So anybody who could be impacted by that could come under pressure. And then you have talks about removing or limiting the ability to enforce restrictive covenants against physicians because there is some belief that that impacts the ability of people to access medical care. So if you think about that, if, if the, those restrictive covenants were no longer enforceable, think about the impact that would have on physician management roll-ups, practice management roll-ups, and some hospitals. So government activity or regulatory activity could cause pressure for several different types of providers. Do you think the next wave of restructurings will be different from prior cycles? Will we see a change in valuation analysis, the fulcrum, et cetera? Well, I think every cycle is different in some respects, but similar in a lot of respects. And it depends on the cause of the cycle, right? I mean, that will impact what it will be like. And if people try to learn, and the professionals try to learn from one cycle to the next. So I think you'll continue to see the trend towards quicker cases because people realize that administrative costs can take too much of the value that would otherwise go to participants. So I believe there will be pressure on professionals to limit costs or at least control costs to some extent and to move the cases along quicker because everybody recognizes that the longer a case lasts, the more it costs and the more negative impact on a business. Now, that is something that is not new. I mean, that has been in each cycle. Things have been, I think, accelerated. I think the pace that things move today will be greater than the pace it was in the last cycle. And I think people will have learned their lessons. I think there will be more focus 
on fewer jurisdictions. This is a trend, right? There are courts which are, I think, more friendly to the process or, or more experienced to the process that get the majority of the cases. And I think that trend will continue. And I think it is a good trend because you want some certainty of the court you're heading into, and you want to know that they can move the case along the way it needs to be moved along. So I believe you'll see even more focus sort of the jurisdictions that people are comfortable with. I think that we're going to see more contention, but in a more compressed time frame. So I think they will continue to have this contention amongst lender and creditor groups. But I do think that the pressure to move things along quickly will prevent that from stretching things out too long. Now, on the change in valuation analysis, I, I don't think the principles of valuation will change. I think the fulcrum will move, right? And what people anticipate to be the fulcrum at some point. I, I think we've seen that a number of cases recently where things have changed and equity has been in the money as things developed in the case. And the one people, the, the case I think that comes to mind the most easily is Hertz, where there was significant equity value at the end of the case. But I don't think you're going to see a change in the fundamental principles of valuation analysis or a change in the methodologies for valuation. And can you talk about third-party releases that we've seen in some very high-profile cases? What is kind of your take on this? See, I may be a contrarian because I think the whole outcry against third-party releases is just misguided. If you think about it, if you remove emotion from the question and remove the, the whole question about, you know, are these people who are getting releases bad guys, right? And then you just think about it as an efficient way to resolve claims or liabilities, then a plan which provides for third-party releases in exchange for a contribution that is reflective of the liability of those releasees, that should not be controversial because the bankruptcy distribution system is far more efficient than the state court taught litigation system, okay? And if the thought is, and I don't want to speak about specific cases, but if the thought is that these principles of this company, which put a product out that harm people, if the thought is, well, bankruptcy case and third-party releases cannot impact criminal liability, it's only impacting civil liability. If the court determines that the contribution is reflective of what the liability would be, why a third-party release is wrong, okay? You're providing a distribution to these ultimately harmed people in exchange for this contribution that reflects what they would ultimately get and is a more efficient system. So, I mean, I think done properly, third-party releases can be very beneficial to the impacted people and to the process as a whole. I think the problem is people have made very emotional arguments about it that are really reflective of the reality. And if, the, if they're given the opportunity to really establish what they believe is the potential liability, 
in my opinion, there shouldn't be an issue. No, we're operating in an environment where it's challenging to make money. The Dow is losing as much as 1,000 points a day or up 500 points another day. Do you expect to see more lender-on-lender violence given the lack of covenants and credit documents? I love that phrase, lender-on-lender violence. I don't know who started it, but it's great. I get a kick out of that. I don't know if the willingness of creditors to try and advantage themselves at the expense of other creditors and the willingness to fight it out through litigation is attributable to the lack of credit of covenant. It may be attributable to the lack of covenants because covenants would allow the lenders to get in early and steer it in the right direction. And lack of covenants give borrowers more of an ability to sort of manipulate things or create the transactions and new you know new debt restatement that allow for some creditors to take advantage of others i also think it is the fact that the same players are in all different levels of the capital structure not in a particular credit even though that does happen but also that they play at different spaces and and long ago you had Lenders who pretty much stayed, and more of them were banks than are now, right? Good lenders who pretty much stayed in a particular lane were reluctant to take on other lenders. I think that whole attitude has changed, and a lot of it has changed because of the identity of you know, who's in these credits right now. But I do think we will see more as I think valuations get low, lower and things get tighter. There will be more and more of it. So what advice have you been giving to your clients? What issues are they most concerned about? Well, I mean, it depends on really the client and the industry. But if you wanted to boil it down to something simple, it's the uncertainty. So it's really difficult for people to look down the road, even near term, even three, six months and think, Am I going to be able to refinance this? Am I going to be able to get waivers? I think that's really the major concern is the uncertainty, the inability to comfortably predict the near-term changes. I think the, the best advice that you can give in that circumstance is we need to be contingency planning and we also need to be trying to walk through the options and the decision trees now before we're confronted with these issues. I think the uncertainty is really, the, to me, the major concern. So, Tom, what do you expect to see in the second half of the year? Do you expect to see more rescue financing, Chapter 11s? I don't think, in my personal opinion, for what it's worth, I don't think we will see an uptick in Chapter 11 filings in the next six months. I think whatever will occur will likely occur in 2023. I do think that people will try to implement financings, rescue financings, adequate restructurings, the like, over the next six months to see if they're sort of catching a wave or or getting things done before the cycle really hits. I think there will be some urgency to get things done sooner rather than later, because I think 
the majority of the people are predicting a downturn. And the question is really whether it's a soft one a, or a hard one, whether it's, it's one of long duration, short duration. I think that's what people are trying to work through right now. But I really do not anticipate an uptick in violence. I think everything we're going to see will be in that too. Tom, thank you so much for uh, taking the time out to speak with us today. A great conversation. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Don't forget to follow us on Spotify. And you can also check us out on the Wistia platform.